Well, good morning, church. My name is Peter, and today we are concluding our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. So for the last eight weeks, we've heard from seven different communicators who've each shared about different aspects of the fruit, the good results that the Holy Spirit is producing inside of us. And today we're going to focus on one of those aspects, which is self-control, and how the Holy Spirit gives us self-control. Now, all of us have self-control. You can think of a time where you were in control. You uh, brought your healthy lunch to work, and then you ate your healthy lunch. You didn't go out for lunch. You were in control. Uh, You could think of a time where you set your alarm to wake up early, and you got up early just like you intended. You had self-control. There was a time where you were wronged, and yet you stayed calm. Each of us can think of a time where we stayed in control. You were scrolling on your phone, and you saw that trashy headline, and you really wanted to click it, But you didn't. You had self-control. So each of us has self-control. And each of us could use more self-control. Because there's times that we can think of in our life where we were out of control. So can you think of a time where you were out of control in your eating? Where you just ate and ate and then afterwards you felt terrible. Can you think of a time where you were out of control in your anger and you were just barking and snapping at your coworkers and at your family? You were out of control. Have you ever had one of those days where you're just making poor choice after poor choice and you just don't really seem to care? You just are like, I give up. This day's terrible. I'm just going to make all the poor choices. We all need more self Control. We can look at our life and we can see the times where we haven't had self-control like we need to. What Proverbs tells us that a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And I can look at my life and I can see times where I was allowing all sorts of things into my life that I shouldn't have because I didn't have the walls. I didn't have self-control. I, didn't, I wasn't saying no to those things. And so we want to be a city that has walls, that has the ability to have self-control. I can think of uh, a time a few years ago where my wife and I we were having an argument. And it was one of those arguments that drags on into the evening. You just keep trying to work it out and it's just not working and you're talking and you're talking and this argument, it just kept going and it kept going and eventually uh, I was frustrated, my wife was frustrated, I ran out of coping skills. And so I was just so done that in the middle of our living room, I just was so worked up that I just started jumping around and I was just flailing and I was just like, I don't even know what to do anymore. Uh, And let me tell you, it didn't work. It did not help anything at all. I know you're surprised to hear that, that that was not a good decision to make in that moment. All of us have self-control, but we could all use more self-control. Well, self-control is our ability to master our passions 
and our desires. It's the ability for us to have physical and emotional self-mastery, even when we're faced with temptation or provocation. And so how can we be someone who actually has self-control when we need it the most? Not just on our best days, but on our worst days. How can we be people who have self-control when the temperature is rising, when the pressure is on, when we're facing temptation? Because I think that a lot of us tend to overestimate the amount of self-control that we have. We think we've got a lot of self-control, but has it really been tested? You know, we can look at other people when they don't have self-control and think, I would never do what they did. But have we had self, our self-control really put to the test? How can we be people who have self-control when we need it the most? Well, Jesus is our example of self-control. We can look at Jesus and we can see how he had self-control even when he was directly tempted. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And he's there for 40 days and he doesn't eat anything. And the Bible tells us that he was hungry. And that's when the devil came and was tempting Jesus. And he was tempting Jesus to use his power to turn a stone into a fresh, hot loaf of bread. And Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. And the devil is there in person tempting him to just do something as simple, as small, as just, just turn a rock into a loaf of bread. And Jesus is hungry. And yet Jesus had self-control in the face of direct temptation, he said no. He didn't give in to temptation. He had self-control. I can't even have self-control at Olive Garden with the breadsticks that they bring me. They keep bringing them, and I keep eating them. It doesn't matter if they brought eight breadsticks already. If they put another one on the table, I am going to eat it. And yet here is Jesus with the self-control, the self-mastery to say no. Jesus is our example of self-control, even when he's provoked. It tells us in Luke, after he was in the wilderness, that Jesus, he went to uh, his boyhood hometown, the place where he grew up, and he's with the people, and he's preaching to them, and he's sharing about the kingdom of God with them. And these people that knew Jesus as a boy, they reject what Jesus is saying. And then they're so upset with what Jesus has to say that they take him out, they want to push him off a cliff. And yet in the face of this rejection from those who grew up around him, who saw him as a young boy, as they're rejecting him, as they want to kill him, Jesus doesn't react. He has self-control even when they're provoking him. They want to push him off a cliff and yet he stays in control he doesn't get angry. He doesn't smite them. He just walks through the crowd. Jesus is our example of self-control, even under extreme duress. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's facing 
intense stress and pressure. In just mere moments, he's going to begin to sweat blood. And he's having this moment of prayer with his father under this intense pressure, intense stress, and yet he has the self-control to say, Father, it's not my will, but your will be done in this situation. Even though he knows it's going to lead to his arrest and eventually his crucifixion. In that moment, that extreme circumstance, he has self-control to surrender his will to the Father. Jesus is our example of self-control when he was tempted, when he was provoked. In the most extreme of uh, circumstances, Jesus had self-control. And now we know because Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected again, that Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit of Jesus is living inside of us and empowering us and producing in us self-control. And that brings us to the passage that we've been going over in our series uh, each week. And so if, you're, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to join me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, uh, it's a letter written by Paul, who is one of the first century Christian leaders, and he's writing to Christians in Galatia. And as we've been looking out uh, at, through this whole series, he's contrasting how we can live according to the Holy Spirit, or we can live according to our sinful nature. And so he's showing these two different ways of life, these, this choice that we have to either stay in our sinful nature or to live letting the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. And we're going to take a look at this. This is Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 16 down to the end of the chapter. And it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit... Guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, 
Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And so in our passage, Paul talks about our sinful nature. He talks about how our sinful nature craves. Our sinful nature has desires. It wants to do what's evil. And our sinful nature fights against the Holy Spirit. And there is something inside of me that is telling me that my life is all about me. That I am the main character of this story. And that what I should pursue is really whatever feels good. The anthem of what's inside of me in my sinful nature. Uh, there's a song by the Canadian, uh, there's a Canadian rock band named Sloan. And uh, they were really popular in the 90s. And they had a song uh, that went, if it feels good, do it. Even if you shouldn't, don't let people mess you around. And that is the anthem of my heart. Inside of me, there's a voice that says, if it feels good, you should do that. Even if you shouldn't do it, you should definitely do it. Don't let people mess you around. And so if we want to have self-control, we need to do something about our sinful nature. We need to do something about this voice inside of us that wants to do what's wrong. Because Paul tells us in the passage that we just read, if we are left to our own sinful desires, our sinful nature, then the results are going to be really evident in our life. And we read through that whole big list of different sexual sins and relationship sins that we can see and experience. And we need to look at if we're going to elevate our desires and what we want and what makes us feel good as the ultimate source of how we're living our life, then it's gonna lead to some really obvious results that we may not be really happy with in our life. And so what are we gonna do with our sinful nature? What are we gonna do with these desires that if left to themselves are gonna lead us further and further away from the kingdom of God? What are we going to do with our sinful nature that is fighting against the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 in verse 24, which we read, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And so the solution for us is to crucify our passions and our desires to the cross of Jesus, to nail them to his cross. And so how can we have self-control? Well, self-control is the ability to master our passions and our desires. It's to have self-mastery, both physically and emotionally, even in the face of temptation and provocation. And so if we want to master our passions and our desires by having self-control, that's what self-control is, well then here it's telling us that we're to take those passions and desires and to crucify them, to nail them to the cross. Now I want us to see that this is something that isn't done to us, but this is something that we are to do. 
So there's other places in the New Testament where it talks about how we have been crucified with Christ. Even earlier in the letter to the Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about how we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But he's saying something slightly different here in chapter 5, in verse 24. He says that those who belong to Christ have crucified their sinful nature, their passions and desires. And so you and I, as active participants in this, we are the ones who nail our sinful nature to the cross of Jesus. This is something that we are to do. It's deliberately putting it to death. And so when I see inside of myself that self-centeredness, that thing inside of me that says, I I should really be the main character of this story, it should really all be about me, that I need to take that and recognize that if I really am going to live my life that way, if I'm going to really allow myself to be focused on me, that it's going to have an impact on all of the relationships that I have, that if I really, truly am putting myself first in every area of my life, well, it's going to impact my relationship with my wife. She's not going to feel valued. It's going to impact my relationship with my children. They're going to feel like I don't have time for them because I don't because it's all about me and what makes me feel good and what I want to do. And so I need to see that if I leave that thing alone inside of me, it's going to pull me further and further away from the kingdom of God. And so I need to take my self-centeredness, and I need to go to the cross, and I need to nail my self-centeredness to the cross and crucify it there. It echoes the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, where he tells us that if we're going to be his followers, then we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And I think sometimes we feel like we're in a position where we're kind of playing around with our sin. And so I can look at that self-centeredness inside of me, and I feel like I'm the cat playing with the cat toy. And I think, you know what? This self-centeredness inside of me, it gets a bad rap. It's really just confidence. You know, I just have a lot of confidence. And you know what? you got to look out for number one. Nobody else is going to look out for you. So that's important. You know, I think this is really a good thing. I feel like I'm in control of my sin when really those sinful desires inside of us, they're more like a crouching tiger waiting to just take our throat out, waiting for the right opportunity to pounce and take us out. So we need to be those who are willing to go to the cross to nail our sinful desires, our sinful nature to the cross. Now, what do we know about crucifixion? I want to give you three things about crucifixion as we are to crucify our sinful nature. Number one, crucifixion was painful. I know, big surprise, big revelation there. Crucifixion was an incredibly painful way to die. And it's going to be a painful process of dealing with my self-centeredness and taking it and nailing it to the cross. That's going to be a painful process. It's painful for us to every day take up our cross and to follow Jesus. It's not going to be an easy, pain-free process of dealing with our sinful nature. Second thing about crucifixion is crucifixion was a certain death. You did not recover from crucifixion. 
Everybody that the Romans set out to crucify, they were successful in killing them through crucifixion. And so we need to look at and be certain and decisive that I am nailing this to the cross and it is going to die. Third thing about crucifixion is that it was a slow death. Crucifixion is a slow way to die. And we need to recognize that the death of our sinful nature and sinful desires, it may be a slow process, but that we're to leave it on the cross because we know that it may take some time, but it will die. And so we crucify our passions, our desires, those things that would lead us farther and farther from God, those things that are fighting against the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are to be ruthless and uncompromising in our rejection of sin. Now, what if we look at our life and we see that we are plagued with sin issues. It's these same things that just keep popping up in our life over and over again. And we keep going to the cross and we keep saying, I gotta deal with this. And it just keeps coming back into our life and years and years go by. Well, the question that we need to ask ourselves is have we truly repented? Have we truly repented of this sin issue that we keep coming back to? Because repentance is more than just, I feel bad about this, or that I'm sorry that this keeps happening, but repentance is a complete change of direction. And so I take my self-centeredness, and I take it to the cross, and I nail it there, and I completely change direction, and now I am following Jesus in his way of humility and denying myself and laying down myself and elevating others higher than myself, and that is the direction that I head in. And if we have repented, then we need to ask ourselves, are we maintaining our repentance? Are we continuing in the same direction? Because what can happen is, I repent, I nail my self-centeredness to the cross, and I'm heading in another direction. But then, you know what? I love being self-centered. I really want to be self-centered. And so I find myself back at the cross saying, self-centeredness, I love you so much. I really want it to all be about me. I'd really love to be the main character of the story. And so self-centered, this this is just a big mistake. This is a misunderstanding. I actually really want you in my life. And so I'm going to take you off of the cross and I'll just drape you over my life. And I just need some me time. I just need to make it about me just for a season, just for right now. Things are pretty hard. And so I'm going to come back to this thing. I'm going to take it off of the cross And we find ourselves dealing with the same things again. So we need to nail our sinful nature to the cross. And we need to say, I have crucified this. I am leaving this there. I'm not going back to it. I am completely changing my direction and following Jesus. And so what are we going to do on our worst days? What are we going to do when temptation comes? What are we going to do when we're provoked? What are we going to do in those unusual circumstances? 
where it's really hard, we need to, in those moments, we need to say, I belong to Christ. I belong to Christ. I have crucified my sinful nature. And I wouldn't even dream of going back and taking that from the cross. I belong to Jesus. And so when temptation comes our way, we say, I belong to Christ and his spirit is in me. He is filling me with his spirit. And now I'm living a new life in his spirit. I'm walking in his spirit. I'm following his spirit. And so I'm not going to go back to those old ways of thinking, those old actions that I had. I'm living a new life in Christ. We gotta remind ourselves of this. We gotta proclaim that in our life, in our darkest days, our hardest days, that even then we're not going back to those things we have nailed to the cross of Christ. It says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And then in verse 25, it says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so as we kind of come to the conclusion of this series on the fruit of the Spirit. I want us to zoom out a little bit. We've been really focused on self-control today, but I want us to zoom out and to consider where do we go from here? Because as we head into the fall, we're gonna be talking about other things on Sundays. You know, we're living our lives. How do we take these things that we've discussed, these things that we've learned this summer, and how do we live it out? How do we live in the Spirit? How do we stay in the spirit. And I want you to consider, well, let's take a look at this first. Verse 16, uh, it said, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. That if we want to live this out, we want the Holy Spirit to guide us. Verse 18, it says, when you are directed by the spirit, that the Holy Spirit is directing our life. And as we just read in verse 25, since we're living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading. So we're living in the Spirit. The Spirit is leading us, and we are following the Spirit. And what does this look like in our life? Because I think at times, I come to this, and I, I try to figure out, what is my responsibility in this? How much of this am I supposed to do, and how much of this is God going to take care of? Because if God is leading me and directing me, and I just have to sit back and relax and Jesus take the wheel, man, that sounds really good to me. I would love it just to be, God, you're going to take me exactly where I'm going to go, and I'm just going to sit back and relax. But also, if there's a lot that I need to be doing, and I need to come up with a plan here, and i got to have a destination, and I'm going somewhere, and i got to work this out in my life, well, that's an entirely different kind of attitude that I'm going to bring to this. And so, what, is, what am I doing here? How much is me, and how much is God? And John Stott uh, is a British uh, pastor, he's passed away now, but he wrote an excellent commentary on the book of Galatians, and he uh, uses this illustration in it, and I love it so much, I want to share it with you, but he talks about, I want you to picture a sailboat in the middle of a calm lake, and we are on the sailboat, and I want you to picture a gentle wind that begins to blow, and there's a gentle pressure 
against the sails. And if we're on the sailboat, well, we have a lot of options that we could do. We could ignore the wind. You know, we could lower our sails. We could fight against the wind. Or we could raise our sails and we could allow that gentle pressure, that gentle propelling of the wind of the Spirit to begin to push and propel us in our life. And we can partner with the wind. That we can have our hand on the tiller, we can raise the sails, and we can allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us as we partner with Him in our life. When you look at your life, do you feel like you've been fighting against the wind? Or do you feel like there is no wind, there is no gentle pressure? Have you invited the Holy Spirit to come and to lead you and to guide you? Have you yielded to the Spirit of God? But we can be that sailboat on that lake. And when it's us in partnership with the Holy Spirit, the places that we can go. And so it's us together. We have, a, a, there's a part of us that needs to yield control and our desire to figure it all out and know exactly where we're gonna end up. We yield that to the Holy Spirit. But there's also a part that we have to play, that we're an active participant in allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and following in the direction that he is propelling us. And so we do this together with the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us and for us to be living in the Spirit. But as we come to the very end of our time here, I have one more uh, example that I'd like to show us. And I'd like us to look at the example of a guy named Felix in the book of Acts. And Felix was a Roman governor. And in Acts chapter 24, uh, Felix and his wife Drusilla they were in charge, and they really enjoyed listening to what Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, what he had to say about Christianity. And so Paul was uh, under arrest, and they would call for Paul to come, and they wanted to listen to what Paul had to say. And in Acts chapter 24, in verse 24, I'm going to read it. It says, a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment, Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. And the book of Acts tells us that it stayed that way for two years and nothing changed in Felix's life. And I think that sometimes I can see that same attitude that Felix had inside of myself. That attitude that says, you know what, this is a little bit uncomfortable. You know what, I'm not really sure about what I'm hearing. And so go away for now. And when it's a more convenient time for me, well, then I'll come back to this and I'll look at it. I'm really going to get invested in this and really think about this. But go away for now. I'll call you when it's a better time for me. And the thing that I would hate 
for us as a church as we exit out of this series is for us to have that attitude that says of these things that we've heard and these things that we could be allowing the Holy Spirit to do in our life, to have the attitude that says, you know what, this just isn't really a convenient time for me. You know, it's back to school and there's a lot going on and we're in the fall now. And so at a more convenient time, I'm gonna look at how I can really be loving or really have joy in my life or really work on this patience or having this gentleness or this self-control or faithfulness or kindness or goodness or any of these things that we've talked about or taking our sinful nature and nailing it to the cross. Man, that sounds so painful, so uncomfortable. It's so countercultural. I don't even know what I think about that. And so when it's more convenient, I'll come back to it. But we have an opportunity today to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, to allow him to do something deep inside of us. We have the opportunity today to go to the cross and to take those things inside of us, those things that we know aren't right, those things that are drawing us further and further from the kingdom of God and to brutally crucify them by nailing them to the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Would you bow your head with me and just close your eyes? Let's allow the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us even right now. Jesus, I pray, God, for each one of us. God, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, that leads us, that guides us, that directs us, that convicts us of sin. God. We thank you that even now you're showing us the areas in our life, God, that we've been playing around with, messing around with, those things that we need to deal with, those things we need to take to the cross, those areas that we keep coming back to. But God, would you help us today? God, as we belong to you, God, because of your grace, because of what you have done for us, may we be those who would nail those things to the cross. God, would we be decisive? Would we be certain? God, would we take them to the cross and would we turn and follow you? Would we yield to your spirit? Would we have full sails allowing your spirit to propel us and lead us in the direction that you have for us? Jesus, I pray, God, that we would not have the attitude of Felix that says, I'll, I'll come back to this when it's more convenient. When it works better for me, I'm gonna look at this again, but let today be the day, Jesus, that we crucify those things. Help us, we pray in your name, amen. Amen. I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come to the front of the altar. And I know we're having a picnic in just a few minutes, but we would love to pray with you. You know, there's something wonderful about the community of us together as a church that we can come forward and say, hey, could you pray for me? I need to crucify this. I need to nail this to the cross. I need to be led by the Spirit in my life. And if that's you, I would love for you to come forward and to receive prayer. If you need prayer for any area, we would love to pray with you today. And church, thank you so much for joining us here today. We hope that you'll stick around. God bless you.